0: Well, hello and welcome to Crossroads. It is good to be here this morning. I think that most of you probably experienced uh, spring Break Week, and so hopefully that was a great week for you. Uh, in the Manning household, my wife, Sarah, and my middle son, Cademan, actually went up to South Dakota to go ice fishing for Spring Break because nothing says bring in summer like going and fishing and freezing to death on ice, right? Catching fish, and so uh, they spent a couple of days up there, and uh, then nice I single it here with my oldest son, Theo, and my daughter, Mercy, who has an incredibly vibrant social life, and so most of my week outside of work was driving her to the next location that she had to be at. Uh, with friends, and so we had just a, a special fun week together uh, in spring break. Break. Hopefully, yours was the same. I want to welcome those as we get started online, wherever you may be, whether that be Crossroads Live, Facebook, YouTube, as well as Fort Lupton, and of course here at Thornton. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, if you're new to Crossroads, my name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and today uh, we are right in the middle of a six-week series that we're doing on parenting called "The Six Truths That Every Parent Needs to Know." It's not the uh, uh, every truth that every parent needs to know, but the six truths, these unchangeable principles, realities that we find in the scriptures that we're taking these weeks to look through and to go through and to look with eyes as parents into what the scriptures have to say to us as parents. And a few months ago, when we were putting this whole series together, we wanted to be bigger than just simply like me preaching a sermon from a stage. We wanted to actually be able to give you resources. And one of those resources is through our podcast. That so We have a podcast that Pastor James and I do called Pastors on Pop where we take pop culture stuff and then tie it to cultural and theological uh, realities. And in this month, we dedicated uh, all of our podcasts, we did four of them, to parenting. And on two of those, Denise McAnally, our Wicked Awesome Children's Director, uh, was able to join us. She is so funny and and so wise when it comes to children. If you haven't checked those out, I would encourage you to do that wherever podcasts are found. And while we're on the subject of our children's ministry, they are so awesome. Our children's ministry, the whole purpose is to come along, side us as, past, as parents um, to walk with um, our kids in their spirit, spiritual journey uh, along their faith. And so I'm so thankful for our children's team. And um, as a parent, uh, it is so fun to watch when one of my kids comes home just excited about what they learned in kids' men. In fact, when my daughter, who's now nine, was about three years old, uh, she came home so pumped one day. We actually caught it on video, and I just thought it would be fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> so there it is. She just uses sweetness, right? Yeah. Yeah. She got the verse right, the reference, First John 89, 11. We had to work on that one, but she got the words right. And so, uh, but man, it is so exciting just to watch our kids' ministry and for them, all the people who volunteer, if you volunteer, I just want to say thank you uh, for the time that you give kids to come alongside parents to really uh, watch kids grow in their spiritual journey with Jesus. It's so fun, fun, fun to watch. So like I said, we're looking at these six truths. Uh, that we find in scripture that when it comes to parents and these truths are relevant to every single parent here whether you have littles at home, whether your kids are grown, whether your kids are out of the house, these six truths are always with us as parents. And so uh, what we've been doing at the beginning of every week is just going through those truths. So one, that you would know them, but two, if you haven't been here, you'd know where we've been and where we're going. And so truth number one, we looked at week number one and we looked at it and it's this, that what you do matters, what you do makes a difference. And in that first week, we just asked the question of, what does it look like to be a successful parent? And what we discovered is that oftentimes when we talk about successful parenting, we put it in the category of a kid growing up and having a good career, job, kids, you know, spouse, all that kind of stuff. When the reality is at least when it looks when we look to the Bible, what successful parenting looks like is us as parents taking the opportunity day in and day out, every moment that's given to us to be able to show the existence of God and his goodness. That what we discovered that first week is that we are tools that we are an instrument in the hand of a mighty God to be used, that what you do matters, what you do makes a difference. And then week two, we looked at truth number two, which is, you're not a parent because you're able. That I think this is one of the most foundational truths that we have to speak about as parents, and on that week we looked about. Uh, our inadequacies and our ineptness when it comes to, to parenting and how oftentimes we feel ill-equipped to do what God has called us to do in this task of parenting that is so big, so big. And what we discovered that week is that there is this element of, of present grace in our life, that there's a grace that God gives to us, not just for the past and not just for the future, but grace that God gives to us now. And in that grace, he gives us the things that we need in order to do the past task of parenting that he calls us to. Then week three, last week, we looked at character formation is greater than behavioral modification. And what we saw last week is that you are never, ever just dealing with the actions, the words, the behaviors of your kids, but you are always dealing with the driver, what's causing those behaviors, which is their heart, their heart. And what we discovered is that just like you and me, That what's happening significantly on the inside is what's actually pushing things outward. That the outward is just symptomatic of what's going on on the inside of every single one of us. And the reality is that when it comes to the character of your kid, just like our own character, that who or what is sitting on the throne of our lives is actually determining much of what you see in our lives. Then this week, we're going to look at truth number four. We're going to continue this conversation, which is the best change happens slowly over time. Next week, Pastor Kim, our former senior pastor, is going to talk about the heartbreak that happens as parents, and then we'll wrap this up in week number six, with your parenting is shaped or flows from the identity that we have. And so today, as we jump into this fourth truth, that the best change happens slowly over time, what I want to do is I want to share a little story from my own family. Maybe you can relate to this if you have kids at home. I think you probably will be able to, that when my boys were were young, they were like five and three years old, um, quite regularly, Cademan would come to me, and he would have tears in his eyes, and he would be sobbing, and he would say, Theo, he hit me. Theo hit me. My big brother hit me. Now, how many of you have ever had, if you have more than like one kid at home, how many of you ever had a deal? Okay, good. Quite a few. All right. So this isn't an odd story. Okay. So, I mean, this was like the hundredth time that this had happened, right? And we had had this conversation over and over again. And honestly, I was really tired of having the conversation. But when this would happen, I would march Theo over to Cademan and I would say, or I'd take Cademan over to Theo. And I would look at Theo and I'd say, Theo, why did you hit your brother? And he would look at me in the eye and he would say, dad, I'm really sorry that I hit my brother. I'm a violent man and my heart is just full of sin. And that's why I need a savior in Jesus. No, that's not what he said. He's a pastor's kid. That's what I wanted him to say, right? But he never said that. The conversation that I was tired of having, that constantly had to have is I would march Gaiman over to Theo. I'd ask him the question and Theo would say, because he touched my stuff. I mean, he touched your stuff, yeah. I told him to not touch my stuff. If he touched my stuff, I was going to hit him. He touched my stuff, so I hit him. Right? And so, you know, I'd punish him, and I'd send him up to his room. And as he marched up the stairs, he would remind me of my inadequacies of parenting. And if I was truly, like, concerned with justice, I would punish Cademan for touching his stuff, right, and how unfair all of this was. And, and as he'd walk up the stairs, I'd find myself just so tired and discouraged of having to have this same conversation over and over again. Maybe for you, it's your teenager, right? It's 12.30 in the morning. you would given her a curfew of midnight. She asked if she could go out with her friend. You gave her the expectations and told her, look, you need to be home at midnight, and she promised that she would be. And now here it is, 12.30, and you're sitting in the chair, and your feelings are oscillating between anger and anxiety. You know, you're angry that she's not where she's supposed to be, but you're anxious because you have no clue where she's at. You have the cell phone in hand, but she hasn't called. And then finally, she shows up. And there's that moment of relief, this quick moment of release, that she's safe, that she's at home, but that soon surpasses because now you know you're going to have to have the conversation that you've had many, many times before. You long for her to to come into the door and say, I'm an irresponsible teenager, I'm sorry I'm late, it's never going to happen again, and for that to be the end of it, that she's never late again. But instead, she walks in the door and she gives you that irritated look, like she knows what's coming, with a list of excuses of how unfair this is and how she knew the expectations but how none of her other friends have to deal with it. And you just simply look at her and you say, we'll talk about punishment in the morning, you need to go to bed, and as you... As you walk to your own bedroom, you're disheartened wondering why you have to go through this time and time again, why you have to have this conversation over and over again. Maybe for you, it's, it's your kids are grown and you have a boy, a man in their 20s and you watch them make bad decision, unwise decision after unwise decision. And every time they find themselves in making these unwise decisions and finding a little bit of trouble or problems come their way, they come running to you. Hopefully you can bail them out And you've had the conversations about boundaries and and expectations and what it looks like to grow into adulthood and what it means to be a responsible adult. And you would love for them to just stop, like, shifting the blame, to to own his need for help, but instead what you get is just the rationalization of the decisions that he's making. And you just become deflated in your life, thinking to yourself, I thought that it would be easier. I thought it would be easier when my kids are... My kids are out of the house, but here you are again. And as parents, we've all been in situations like this, haven't we? And we have been in not just one, but thousands of situations like this. And, and if we're being honest with ourselves, there's thousands of situations like this in the future. And in those moments, it's, it's so tempting to see parenting just as this like series of singular events, isn't it? Where we confront, our kid confesses, and then like overnight they're changed. Like they wake up the next morning and they're a brand new kid. They're a brand new child. Like that's what we we hope for. But as a parent, you probably don't think much about this. But that expectation, that perspective on life actually leads to a lot of impatience and disappointment that we experience in our lives. See, in these moments of discipline, we, we get loaded up, don't we? Like, we crank up emotionally. We think if we're just stern enough, if we're just loud enough, if the threats are big enough, if the, you know, the, the punishments are hard enough, then they will change. And they'll change overnight. And then they wake up the next day, and you realize it's the same child that went to sleep the night before. And you look at yourself in the mirror, and you go, I wonder, like, why isn't this working? Like, I'm doing my very best. I'm trying everything that I know to do. Why? Why isn't this working? Why isn't the things that I'm doing to help, to help this child change? Why isn't it working? And if you've ever been there as a parent, I just want to ask you this question. How do you know? How do you know what you're doing isn't working? See, when it comes to discipline and conversations and discussions and expectations, all of those are important things when it comes to parenting. But unfortunately for most of us, when our children are in need of correction, we believe that if we just show our kids, if we say the right things, if we do the right things, then they'll get it like in this moment, they'll go to bed and overnight they'll be changed. They'll be changed. And what we fail to realize in these moments is that our words and our powers our words and our actions don't quite have the power that we think they do and the reason for that is because of this is that parenting isn't an event it's a lifelong process that your parenting isn't these series of singular events that parenting is a lifelong process that your children do not change overnight, that overnight change does not happen. It happens over days, weeks, months, years, even decades. And as parents, we have to learn to have the perspective of the long game that parenting entails, regardless of whether our kids are in the house or when they grow up and they're out of house, that, that your, ch- your job as a parent, your task of parenting does not end when your kid moves out of the house. And so for us to help understand this truth, what I want us to do for a few moments is I wanna take our kid and I wanna put our kids on the shelf, all right? So we're gonna put our kids on the shelf and we're gonna take a few moments to look at ourselves in our own lives to help us understand this truth. And the way that we're gonna do this is by looking at 1 Timothy chapter one. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to go ahead and open it, whether it's a paper Bible like Jesus used or like a phone Bible like everybody else uses. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen for you. But when it comes to 1 Timothy, It's written by a guy named that we know as the Apostle Paul. Now before the Paul, the guy who wrote like half the New Testament, was known as Paul. He went by a different name, and his name was Saul. And Saul was a pretty wicked dude. He was a pretty wicked man. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that up until the point of, of Saul's conversion, which was in his like late 20s, early 30s, that most all of his life was just one long abuse of God. It was long, one long mockery of Jesus. It was, it was one like long... Series of, of just, you know, defaming Jesus and the faith. In fact, in Acts, Saul is on this road to Damascus, a town in Syria, and he's riding on this road, and Jesus meets him on the road, and he asks Saul this question. He says, why, Saul, are you persecuting me? Like, why are you, <clears throat> why are you torturing the Christians? Why are you killing people? Why are you trying to stop what is good? Why are you trying to put an end to the church? Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so on this road to Damascus in Syria, Jesus meets Saul, and he has this miraculous moment where all of a sudden the murderer, the great persecutor of the Christian faith comes to know Jesus. And he changes his name from Saul to Paul, then writes like half the New Testament. Years later, Paul is writing to his friend Timothy. Timothy is a younger man, Paul is his mentor, and he's writing to Timothy, and he writes in such a way that he basically tells Timothy, I want you to remember some things, I want you to to bury some truths deep inside your heart, like into the deepest recesses of your life, like remember these things. And these things are what we find in first and second Timothy. And so one of those things that Paul writes about is that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, and it says this, is what Paul writes. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Like, like this is what you can bank on. This is what you can bury in the recesses of your life. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, the biggest, the baddest, the worst of all sinners. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What Paul says to Timothy is, as I want you to use my life, I want you to look at my life, I want you to use my life as a case study for other people in the world. Because I was the worst of worst when it came to sinners. That I mocked God, I murdered people. I had a zeal for things that weren't true, that I lived my life as a wicked man, moving people beyond rejecting and mocking Jesus. And yet, in light of all of the wickedness in my life, in the light of all of that wickedness, Timothy, look at how perfectly patient Jesus was and is in my life. Look how perfectly patient Jesus was able and willing to be for me. Timothy, I want you to remind people, Paul says. I want you to remind people of the perfect patience of God, that I want you to remind people that Jesus came into this world to save sinners, not to condemn them, not to bring condemnation on them, but to bring sinners in with love to know their God. That this, that my life, Paul says, that my life is this picture of God's patience and his mercy that he bears with sinners, that he endures with sinners, that he loves sinners, even the worst of them like me, Paul would say. And even though Paul wrote this some 2,000 years ago, for every person in this room who has trusted Jesus as their Savior, who who has walked with Jesus in their lives, Those of us who know the mercy of God would confess. That's true of me too. That God has shown his perfect patience. That my life is a testimony to God's grace, his mercy, his love, his endurance. That my life is a picture of God's patience, even if my story is a bit different than Paul's. Like, I look at my own story, and and I've never persecuted Christians before. I've never murdered anyone. That when I came to Christ, and when I came to faith, when I placed my my faith in Jesus, I was 13 years old. And yet, looking back on my life, without a shadow of a doubt or hesitation, I can say that God has has been just as patient with me as he was with Paul, and he was with you. That I have received... The mercy of God. And listen, none of us deserve God's mercy, do we? Like, that's the whole point of mercy, that none of us deserve it. That God is so merciful and so patient with us. And I think back on my life. I think back on my life of all the times that I was so blind to my sin. Like so often in my life, like, like I'm going through life and, and I walk into the wickedness of my own life. I walk into my own shortcomings, my own temptations, and, and I'm so blind that I don't even see it. I don't even see it. But if I just take the time to like pause, if I just take the, the time just to, to stop and to look back, that I can see all the, the patience and all the mercy that God put upon me. Like, I can think back to all the times that that I rebelled against God. I can think back to all the times that I wandered from God that I chose to go this way or that way instead of the way that God was leading me. I can think of all the ways that I've rebelled in my life towards God, and then I can stop and I can pause. And I go, man, how amazingly patient and merciful God has been to me. And if I was to ask the question to you, like, how would you answer it? How would you answer the question, how has God shown you his mercy? Because the reality is, is that we've all rebelled. We all have sins. We all have shortcomings. We all have our weaknesses. How has God shown his patience to you? How would you answer that? See, when we're talking about 1 Timothy chapter 1, what we're talking about is two theological terms, justification and sanctification. That my justification, and what I mean by that word, is it's that point in time where I put my trust in, where I surrendered my life to God, and in that moment, God declares me righteousness. The power of sin is no more in my life. That that is a moment, that is a point, that is a, a moment in time where that happens, where my justification takes place. However, however, God's work of transforming my life and becoming all that he created to me, to, for me to be, which is the reflection of him, is literally a lifelong Process. That because of the work of, of Jesus on the cross, that every single one of us, every single one of us, we are invited into God's family. And when we are in God's family, we are made his children, that we have the rights and privileges, every right, every privilege of what it means to be his kids, that we are made right before God. But come on. Every single one of us knows that we're not perfect, are we? That none of us are, are complete. That even though I have been justified, where the power of sin is, is no longer, it no longer has power, sin has, no longer has power in my life, the, the presence of sin is an ongoing reality, isn't it? That even though my, because of my justification, sin has no more power over me, there is still a presence of sin in my life. And God working in and through me to free me from it, in church world, we call that sanctification. And sanctification is a lifetime-long process. It's a lifelong process. That none of us will ever be complete in this life. That none of us will ever be perfect this side of heaven. That we are always growing and learning what it looks like to reflect God. That it's a process. It's called sanctification. So as we think about 1 Timothy, justification is this moment in time where I'm declared righteous, where the power of sin is no more in my life, that sanctification is then the lifelong process of God working out the presence of sin in my life. So what's any of this have to do with parenting? Well, we're going to take our kids off the shelf and realize that the way that God deals with us In light of 1 Timothy chapter 1, the way that God deals with us provides the ultimate model of what God has called us to do as parents. That the way that God has dealt with us in our own lives, in this process of sanctification, is the model of what God has called us to do as parents. That your child, as we saw last week, is full of sin. That their heart is not pure. That your child is predisposed to sin. And because of that, not only do they rebel against your authority, but they're also rebelling against God's authority. That they want to make their own way in this life. They want to create their own rules. They want to go about it their own way. And if that wasn't bad enough, your child is just like you. In that, they are blind to their own sin in their lives. That your son cannot see his sin in the moment. That your daughter does not see herself in her completeness. That your son, he does not not see wrong the way that we see wrong in him. That your child is not only selfish and rebellious, your child is also spiritually blind. And so the conversation, the conversation that you have with your five-year-old about hitting His brother is only complicated by the fact that he's also spiritually blind. He cannot see his own sin. And the conversations that you're having with your teenager about coming home for curfew on time is only complicated because she is spiritually blind. She cannot see her own sin. And the conversations that you have with your adult children are only complicated because they are spiritually blind that they cannot see their own sin. And it's not that your child doesn't change quickly It's that they don't see what you see. And because of that, they're not able to see clearly. You will never have just the one conversation that changes everything in their life, where they go to bed one way and wake up another. See, if you walk into a room in times of correction with that kind of perspective, Just the the one time quick, we're going to have a conversation, it's going to be done, and we're going to move on, and life's going to be good, and everything's going to be changed. If you walk into a room where correction is needed with that kind of perspective, you will always walk away irritated and discouraged. So, in light of this truth that the best change happens slowly over time, how do we parent? How do we parent? Well, we don't just give up on our kids. Right, like like several years ago, anybody remember the TV show Swamp People? Nobody, only me, all right, I'm the only one. It was like my favorite show for like six years, right? And so if you don't know about it, it's about this guy in Louisiana, a bunch of guys in Louisiana, like, Backwoods, back swamp, Louisiana people, right? Hunting alligators. That's what the whole show was about. It was very exciting. Well, one episode, one episode, this, this, one of the kids. He was a grown kid, but a kid. They were out. Dad and kid were out on the boat together, and kid made like a lot of bad decisions. Almost got himself eaten by an alligator, right? Like, like that's how bad it was. Like a tense moment, and the cameras catch the dad afterwards, and the dad's like, "What are you gonna do? Kid gonna do what he's gonna do?" It's like, no, you kid almost got eaten by an alligator. Like you can't have that attitude, right? Like, like we don't just give up on our kids to have them eaten by alligators, all right? So let's just assume that if all these other truths that we look like are valid, right, that you're an instrument in the hand of God and, and that God gives you the grace and everything that's necessary in order for you to do the task of parenting. And if the real issue of your child is, is not so much what you see on the outside, but what's going on in the recesses of their heart. If, if all of those are true, then we need to make three shifts in our parenting. The first shift is this, is that we need to, to view parenting as one long conversation. That we need to free ourselves from the burden, from the pressure of, of needing to see your child change overnight. Let me say that again. That you need to free yourself from the pressure and the expectation of seeing your child change overnight. If it's just, it will never just be simply one conversation in one point of time. So free yourself from the load of placing all of your hopes and all of your dreams in this one conversation, in this one moment, and realize that you will have the opportunity to have many, 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 many of these conversations as a parent. And always remember that God loves your child even more than you do, that he has placed your child into your family. And in love, he will expose your child's heart time and time and time again to give you opportunity after opportunity to lead your child spiritually so that they can awaken, so that they have awareness, so that they can see and in their seeing that they can confess and repent where true transformation happens that we need to get rid of the mindset where we look at of having to correct or to have to discipline us, as moments of irritation or inconvenience, but rather look at it as a gift given to us by grace, by the one who loves your child even more than you do. View parenting as one long conversation. Shift number two is this, is to view parenting as a project. Now hear me on this, I'm not telling you to view your child as a project, but rather, I'm telling you, to view the adventure of parenting as a project that has a lot of phases and takes decades to complete. Instead of just reacting as a parent, as you are interacting with your child, have a sense of a project. Here's what I mean by that. That this time of year, the spring, brings about um, all of us starting to think about our lawns in the summer, right? Like, like getting our lawns ready. And I have a pretty good vision of what a good lawn looks like. And I know, I know, having done this several times, knowing my lawn the way that I do, that if I want my lawn to look a certain way, I need to make sure that the trees are trimmed, that the garden has mulch, that the grass is fertilized. invitably. I'm going to have to fix the sprinkler system that I didn't blow out the right way the winter before. Like, like all of that stuff has to happen in order for my lawn to be ready for The summer, same idea with your kids, that you know your children better than anyone, that you know where their struggles are, you know their temptations, you know what drives their anger, you know their weaknesses and their fail spots, you know when rebellion is coming, You know their issues, you know their problems. And the reason that you know their issues and their problems is because their issues and problems look a lot like your issues and problems. Knowing all of that, you can be proactive in your child's life. And yet, here's the deal, for so many of us, so oftentimes as parents, when it comes to our kids, we parent reactively, don't we? It's like we're surprised when the darkness of their heart explodes into the real world. And when we act responsively, we're acting emotionally. We get charged up in the conversation. We say things that we, that we regret saying later. So instead of being surprised, be actively looking for the opportunities to address what God has shown you about the heart of your child. Look for ways constantly to say a tender word to your kid. When it comes to your five-year-old, speak the simple things into their life. When it comes to the teenage years, have the complex conversations with them. When they're adults, discuss the sophisticated, but look and capture the God-given opportunities that are yours as a parent. The third shift that we need to make is this, is to model the patient mercy of our Father. So here's my question for you. That when it comes to our own sin, and when I'm talking about sin here, I'm talking about the habitual sin in our lives, the, the sins that we fall into time and time again, the, the sins that just always seem to be, to be there. Why is it that God allows us to fall into that same sin time and time again? Have you ever wondered why that? Have you ever wondered about that? Like, why doesn't God just, like, smoke us from the earth? <laughs> you know? Like... Like, if God really is all-powerful, why doesn't he just put an end to it? Like, whenever that happens, if you're anything like me, you express guilt, there's shame, there's sorrow there. And, and you're moving through that in your life. And, and again, if you're, if you're anything like me, you have every intention, right, in your confession. Like, like, this is the day. This is the moment. Like, I'm waging war on this sin. Like, like it's ending tonight, this weekend, this week. Like, it's going to be over in my life. And we make that commitment to God, we make that commitment to ourselves, and then it happens all over again. Like, why does that seem to happen to every single one of us? In other words, why does God allow that same habitual sin to happen 99 times over and over again? Here's the reason. Because he knows on the hundredth time, the thousandth time, the 10,000th time, That when you get it, you will understand what grace and love is all about. That our transformation is not a one-time event in a moment in time, but rather the patience of a Father who is full of mercy coming alongside us. And sometimes, that's with discipline. And other times, that's with grace. But a loving father who comes alongside us, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, as the way that Paul would say it in another letter, that the one who started, that's God, who started a good work in you, will be faithful to complete that good work in you. See, when it comes to parenting, good parenting has everything to do with your own character. And just like our kids are inclined not to see their own sins, so too do we. But the good news of the Bible isn't that God puts impossible standards upon us and then sits back and judges and condemns us. See, the good news of the Bible is that God puts uncompromising standards before us, and then he sends Jesus in to perfectly live out those expectations, to meet those expectations perfectly on my behalf so that I can be free to admit my failures, my shortcomings, my sins, my temptations, and go to God for help. That at the cross of Jesus, it means that I don't have to deny my struggle as a parent, that I don't have to act as if I'm something I'm not. I don't have to hide from the one, from the one who is able to help me. See, believing in Jesus has far-reaching implications into my role as a parent because not only on the cross of Jesus does he forgive my sins, but he also promises to make me new. Not only does Jesus promise to forgive all of the junk in my past, but he also promises to transform me going forward. And as a good father, he works through the mundane, everyday moments of life to show my heart to expose the sins of my life in mercy, in patience, so that I can come to see what true love and grace is all about, so that I can be transformed. And that doesn't happen just in a single moment like my justification, that that's the process of sanctification over a lifetime. And the really awesome thing that we as parents get invited into is that God comes to us and says, hey, Why don't you come alongside with me with this child that I've given to you to walk the same process? And why don't you demonstrate in your own life what patience and mercy looks like? The way that I'm demonstrating it to you, now you demonstrate it to your kids. And not only will they experience patience and mercy from you, but you will give them a picture of what I look like. That you will give them a picture of what their Heavenly Father, as imperfect as it might be for us, that you will give them a picture of what it looks like of what I look like as their father in heaven. See, when it comes to to our parenting, that God blesses you with his uh, presence, his patience, his mercy, so that you can pass along the same presence, patience, and mercy to your children. Because parenting, it's not an event. It's a lifelong process. And so we model what our Heavenly Father does for you and for me with our children. And we begin to realize that the best change, the best change happens slowly over time. Because when we get it, we truly get what love and grace is all about from our Heavenly Father. Before we go to communion, would you just bow and pray with me? Father, admittedly today we looked a lot more at our own lives than we did the lives of our kids and Lord, your truth out of 1 Timothy resonates large with us. That you are so patient, that you are so merciful for us, to us. That we look at the own, our own sin in our lives, the temptation, the weakness, the fell points of our own life, the junk that builds up. And Lord, admittedly, we have a hard time seeing our own sin when we're in it. And yet, Lord, as we look back upon it, Lord, particularly the habitual sin, seeing ourselves fail time and time again. Lord, we realize that you don't smoke us from this earth because you are patient. You don't simply condemn us because you are merciful. And Lord, I'm, I'm just reminded of, of the verse in Scripture in John Three seventeen, that you sent Jesus into this world not to condemn us, but to save us, to save sinners. Lord, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your patience in my own life. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here. Lord, that we would help demonstrate that in the life of our kids. In doing so, Lord, that they would get a picture as imperfect as it is of a patient and merciful Father in heaven who loves them even more than I could ever imagine. And so God, I pray that you would continue to transform us. God, that your patience would continue to rest upon us. And Lord, that in times and discipline and other times with grace, Lord, that we would grow in what it looks like to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. If you've never had the opportunity to trust Jesus as your savior, uh, you can If you'd like to have that conversation, we'd love to have it with you. You can simply text the word JESUS to the number on the screen, 720-513-1933. And today we come together for communion. And communion is a great picture of, of God's patience. Again, not putting unrealistic expectations on us to condemn us and to judge us, but having these unrelenting standards placed before us that Jesus came and lived perfectly for, and then went to the cross and died because we could not. That instead of judgment, we get life because of Jesus. And so today we celebrate that life. We're reminded through the body of Jesus broken on the cross that our sins were taken care of. And through his blood that we've been forgiven. In light of the patience and the mercy and the love of God, if you need a time of prayer, we want to provide that for you. You can make your way over to the banner. There will be people to pray with you online. You can push the button. There will be someone there to talk and to pray with you. Here in house, I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing songs of celebration to our Lord and Savior Jesus today.